Hello and welcome to Crossview Radio, a weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. I was recently asked to give a presentation at a local college on world religions, and today's episode is simply going to be just a recording of that presentation uh, that I did. And in it, you'll notice that I touch on four of the largest religions in the world, and I'm actually going to include, as you'll see here in a moment, uh, secularism as a religion because it is a religion. It's a system of belief that's based on faith. And I explain that uh, in the in the presentation that you'll hear today. And there's one more thing that I do, and you'll notice it towards the end is that I have uh, a subtle presuppositional apologetic for Christianity. Uh, truth can't be discovered by seeking out a supposed neutral starting point. We are either beginning our reasoning with God, or we are beginning our reasoning apart from God. Only Christianity can provide the prerequisite for knowledge and for meaning. And I share that as being one of the reasons why I am a Christian. So I hope that uh, hope this is a blessing to you today. All right. Well, I think we'll get started. It's eleven ten, and uh, grateful for the opportunity to be here today. I just want a quick introduction. Uh, my name is John Marino. I am the pastor over at Crossview Church in Orville. We meet at the YMCA, which is right next door. I'm trying to think of which direction. Welcome. Um. We uh, moved up here from Greenville, South Carolina, back in 2015, and we planted the church. We started it. Uh, shortly after that time, I had the opportunity to uh, get involved with Crew Club um, here on campus, and so I am here each week doing Bible studies uh, for the students. And through that relationship, uh, Jackie Ashbaugh asked me if I would go ahead and um, share some thoughts with you guys about world religions. So I want to do that. And before we get started, uh, assuming that uh, you don't mind sharing, just out of curiosity, I'd like to know kind of what the makeup is in this room, because I'll be sharing from a few different religions. How many of you would claim to be uh, Christian? Okay. All of you. Okay. (laughs) So 100% of you would claim to be Christian. All right. Well, what we're going to do here um, is... uh, is talk about world religions, and I'm going to dive right into this because uh, I've, I've got probably about an hour and a half worth of material. i got to condense it down really short here. Um, we're going to talk about world religions, and we're going to talk about the four largest religions in the world. Um, I'm going to start with the one with the least amount of adherence and then work our way up to the one with the most amount of adherence. One of the things that... Um, is kind of a challenge uh, about being uh, about speaking in a context like this is um, there when when you talk about religions you're talking about religions that have so many different sects so many different strands so many different streams that for me to come up here and stand before you and say this is what this religion believes um, there could be a uh, hundred different people who would give a hundred different, well, I believe a little bit different than that. So I want to say that from the beginning, and particularly as um, you guys have said that, that you're Christians, you're even within Christianity, there are different strands. And so I want you to know up front that if, if you say, John, you know, you're kind of misrepresenting what I would believe, I want you to know that that's not intentional. What I'm attempting to do is just give you kind of the main uh, stream the main flow of thought and try to represent that as as honestly uh, as, uh, as I can. The other uh, difficulty is just the difficulty with time constraints. There are dozens and dozens and hundreds of religions uh, throughout the world and I'm not going to be able to obviously touch on all of those religions. So I'm not intentionally trying to exclude any religion at all. Uh, merely what I'm doing is just trying to hit on the biggest ones, and simply what I did was I just went on uh, online, and I looked up the statistics for religion in the world, and I just took the top four largest ones, and that's what we're going to be doing, um, and that's going to be hard enough to, to hit on all of those, uh, all of those things. also want to mention uh, one last thing as we, get, uh, as we dive in here, and, and that is um, 
this kind of goes back to the fact that, you know, if you feel perhaps that maybe I've misrepresented what your particular uh, belief system is, I want you to know that uh, whether it's after this or on another day, I'd be happy to meet with any of you and just continue the conversation. If that would be an encouragement to you, if that would be a help, um, I'd, I'd love to, to make myself available in that way. One thing that's going to be helpful right at the outset is to actually define the term religion. What is, uh, what is a religion? I looked up uh, Webster's Dictionary, and it defines uh, religion as this. It says, quote, a cause, principle, or system of beliefs held to with ardor and faith. So it's a cause, <coughs> principle, or system of beliefs held to with ardor and faith. Let's look at the four largest religions of the world. Number four is Hinduism. Hinduism is a religion that has 900 million adherents. This accounts for roughly 12% of the world population. It is one of the oldest religions in existence, and yet we don't know the exact date of its founding, and we don't know who the founder was or founders were. 95% of all Hindus live in India, and we're going to divide their religion really into six main categories. In fact, I'm going to take these six categories, and I'm going to uh, discuss these with every... Come on in. Yep, come on in. I'm going to discuss these six main categories with every religion. Um, Hinduism, in particular, has been very difficult to define. In fact, if there's one religion we're going to discuss today that is going to really open the door for... Uh, lots of different uh, streams of belief and, and avenues and tributaries and sects and all those things, it's going to be Hinduism. One person is quoted as saying, as a religion based on mythology, it has neither a founder nor a fixed canon. Okay, a canon, a holy book, document. Uh, one other person says this, Hinduism is noted as being only one of the major beliefs that cannot be defined. For any definition is inadequate, contradictory and incomplete. So you've got this broad system of Hinduism that has many different strands of belief. And so we're going to attempt to, as best we can, kind of hit on the main uh, high points. Uh, first thing we're going to take a look at is God. We're going to, again, these are the part of the six points that we're going to look at in every single one of these. The first one is God. Hinduism is a polytheistic religion. It means they believe that there are multiple gods. There are around 330 million gods in Hinduism. Each Hindu family traditionally will worship one god more prominently than the others. And not only is Hinduism a polytheistic religion, it's also a pantheistic religion. There's a difference there. Pantheism is the belief that everything is God and God is everything. It is taught that the most prominent god within Hinduism is Brahman and that Brahman is everything and everything is Brahman. For those of us familiar with Christianity or Judaism, uh, Brahman, uh, just a point of distinction here, Brahman is not uh, taught to be a personal god in Hinduism. Rather, Brahman is uh, an impersonal force, sometimes called the unmanifest reality. Creation, second point here. Brahman is responsible for creating the world, but not in the sense that most Westerners would imagine. In fact, um, the world that we live in, it is taught in Hinduism, is merely an illusion. It's called maya in Hinduism. Um, all of our experiences are an illusion. This includes the physical world. It includes all of your experiences. And it includes even things such as logic. It's all an illusion. It's not real. Uh, furthermore, maya teaches that the illusion of the world around us blinds us to the fact that there are no distinctions in um, everything ultimately is the ultimate reality. So, for example, Hinduism teaches that there's no distinction between a cat and a dog, let's say, for instance. There's no distinction between a human being and between Brahman. All of these things are merely emanations of Brahman. The authority for the Hindu, um, as I said, there's no fixed canon, but the main text that they would go to would be uh, the Vedas, the Upanishads, the Epics, and the Bhagavad Gita. These texts are considered authoritative. However, they're not considered inspired by their God, as the Christian would see the Bible inspired by God. Rather, the Hindu sees these texts as kind of the, the wisdom of the ancients, if you will. 
The oldest of these writings, uh, the Vedas, were probably written around 1200 B.C., and one of the reasons uh, that this is not a uh, communication from their God to us, like many people would understand the Bible, is, is because, remember, their God is impersonal. And so a personal or an impersonal force doesn't communicate through a personal book. And so these writings are merely uh, the wisdom of, of the ancients. We're also going to take a look here in all of these religions at uh, their view of man or mankind. Um, Remember, Hinduism teaches that everything is illusion, everything is maya, so this would include men and women. We are an illusion. Our external self is not real. Our true nature, the human soul, is called uh, atman, and so remember, everything is part of the unmanifest reality. And so one of the phrases that Hindus use a lot is, atman is brahman. In other words, they're trying to help us see, uh, as they teach, that, the, that God, brahman, is one with mankind. Uh, let me just give you one quote from a yoga uh, meditation that helps um, kind of solidify this. This is what they will repeat. I am the light of lights. I am the sun. I am the real, real sun. In me, the whole world moves and has its being. I existed before the world began. I permeate and pervade every atom. Oh, how beautiful I am. I am the whole universe. Everything is in me. I am that Brahman, end quote. The Hindu believes that everything is one with Brahman. We're going to get to salvation in just a moment. Actually, they're going to call it enlightenment. Uh, but for now, suffice it to say that um, one of the things we have to do to become enlightened is to realize this truth that they're saying, uh, that everything is one and that we actually are divine. And so part of being enlightened is to experience that, to understand that. Um, it's overcoming reality to understand who we truly are. Let me share a few additional quotes from some Hindu gurus talking about the concept of sin. This is another one we're going to talk about. Um, one, uh, one individual says this, our concepts of sin and virtue alienate us from our true self. That which you see as impure is pure. You imagine ideas of sin and virtue through ignorance. So they're saying sin, the thought of sin is an ignorant thought. Um, another uh, guy says, nothing is bad. And then one person actually says here, obedience to God is the greatest sin. Uh, this actually flows out of the idea that everything is God for the Hindu. So if everything is God, then nothing really can be sinful because it's all part of an expression of who God is. And yet, at the same time, Hinduism does teach that there's such thing as good karma and bad karma. Um, Every 12 years, roughly 30 million Hindus will gather together and wash in a river, the largest human assembly on earth, actually. And they do this in order to wash away their sins. Now, again, I'm just, as I mentioned, trying to be entirely transparent and honest with, um, with what these worldviews teach. And to be honest with you, I don't know, I don't know how, how that um, is brought into harmony with itself. So on one hand, there is no such thing as sin. But on the other hand, they will wash themselves to clean themselves of sin, and they teach good karma and bad karma. So I'll just actually throw this out. If anyone knows how those are reconciled, talk with me afterwards. Um, but those are two different realities that they will teach uh, in, in, uh, in their worldview. Salvation, as I mentioned, is actually enlightenment for the Hindu. Um, so remember, everything is maya. Everything is an illusion because all of your experiences are non-existent. The goal is to escape from the deception of reality and to have your true self absorbed into Brahman. So, um, for example, one uh, writer says this, you have been thinking that you are something unique, something special. You are nobody. Another quote is this, to me, the person does not exist. The person is non-existent. Okay, so we really, according to Hinduism, do not exist. We are just an illusion, only our true inner self uh, is that which really exists. The goal in Hinduism is to be liberated from the idea that everything is reality. This liberation is called moksha, uh, also called nirvana. Nirvana or moksha is similar to a drop of water into an ocean. And so what happens is the goal is to be reabsorbed back into the ultimate reality of Brahman. Once you're reabsorbed, 
you lose all individual identity. So you're not an individual soul anymore. You are absorbed and you become one with everything. Uh, those uh, who have uh, bad karma are reincarnated as a lower being, uh, an animal or a plant perhaps. Those with good karma are reincarnated as a higher being, perhaps even someone who's in a higher social caste uh, than before. Um, there are different paths you can take to reach enlightenment. They're called yogas. You could take the path of selfless action, devotion, physical discipline, meditation, or wisdom. Hinduism teaches that no one religion has a monopoly on the truth. There are multiple paths to, that lead to the same goal. They teach that there is one final avatar who will come and end this age. And when that avatar comes and ends this age, the entire world will be reincarnated, not just individuals. The world and universe will be reincarnated, and the whole process begins over again. In the interest of time, there's so much I've got to cover. I'm just going to jump from one to the other here. So we're going to jump right into the, se the second one. This is actually the third largest religion in the world. Um, it has 1.1 billion adherents. This religion, it may surprise some of you. It may surprise you, first of all, by its size, but it may surprise you that I'm calling it a religion. I want to go back to our original definition of what a religion is according to Webster's Dictionary. Religion is a cause, a principle, or a system of beliefs held to with ardor and faith. 1.1 billion people on the planet, roughly 14.5% of the entire human population, adhere to this religion. I'm talking about secularism. Secularism is the belief that there is no God, or at least that God is irrelevant. So I'm going to be speaking a little bit of a broad umbrella here, but I'm going to be including secular humanists, I'm going to be including atheists, and I'm going to be including agnostics under this category. These actually, some of you may be familiar, this is what has been referred to in recent days as the religious nuns, not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E-S. When you take the survey, what religion are you, they check none. Uh, this is the religious nuns. According to Webster's definition of religion, secular humanism, atheism, and agnosticism are all religions. Just because you don't believe in God doesn't mean you don't have faith, and it doesn't mean that you don't believe things. And that's simply what we're acknowledging here. Uh, just a couple examples, uh, just to demonstrate that uh, atheists have faith as well. Uh, they have faith in the uniformity of nature. Okay, we call this induction. They have faith in the reliability of our senses. They have faith in the reliability of human memory. They have faith in the scientific community. They have faith in empiricism. They have faith that life arises from non-life, dot, 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 etc. All right, what do they believe in these six categories that we've been looking at? Number one, we're talking about God. Secularists obviously deny the existence of God. There are some who would affirm his existence, and yet they would argue for a deistic view of God, which means that God is, is cre created, but he steps back and is not involved in the affairs of life. Creation. Secular humanists believe that the material world is self-existing and eternal. Everything that we see today originated at the Big Bang, which is said to have occurred 13.7 uh, billion years ago. Only naturalistic explanations are allowed. Any explanation which includes supernatural or the metaphysical, those are automatically disallowed. Materialism is a philosophy which says that all that exists is matter in motion. All of my decisions are the result of uh, atoms and electrons and material explanations. So my decisions as a human being in a material universe are re really is only an advanced version of a reaction between baking soda and vinegar. Um, it's just part of the natural outworking of the world. Um, secularists believe that uh, unguided evolutionary processes are responsible for all life forms. At some point in the past, after the Big Bang, life was generated from non-life. There are various proposals for how that happened. Uh, and evolution took over from that point. All plant, animal, and human life shares a common ancestor. 
Uh, talking about authority and revelation here. Because we're talking about a broad category, there's no one creed that binds secularism together. At the end of the day, the ultimate authority in secularism is autonomous human reasoning. Okay, So that means my reasoning with no connection to any outside source. Uh, this means that truth is not revealed to us. Truth is discovered through naturalism, materialism, rationalism, and scientific pursuit. If you did want to find and read one source that does uh, loosely bind uh, secular humanism together, you can uh, read the Humanist Manifestos, numbers 1 through 3. Uh, man, mankind is a result of evolution. There is no afterlife. There is no mind-body dualism. In other words, there's not a soul that exists in the body that will exist afterlife. The mind is also a product of evolution, and it operates according only to materialistic explanations. Therefore, if we had enough data and enough knowledge and enough wisdom, we could, according to secularism, accurately predict every thought and every action of every person who has ever lived and ever will it because it's one giant machine working together in a predictable fashion. Humanism promotes uh, or seeks to promote a good social order, the well-being of mankind. Uh, some shared values that, that um, you could look to uh, for humanism would be uh, hedonism, ethical egoism, utilitarianism. Those would be some ethical systems that would have some overlap there. Sin. Believe it or not, there is a concept of sin within humanism. Um, while not in the typical religious sense, uh, sin would include anything, and they wouldn't call it sin, by the way. I'm using some categories that maybe we're familiar with, uh, but they wouldn't necessarily use it. Sin, or we could say something that's wrong or immoral, would be anything that violates a good social order uh, or the well-being of others, or even violating your own. Hedonism teaches that the only thing that's wrong is denying myself pleasure. Okay, so it's wrong even to deny myself my unhappiness and satisfaction. Unlike Christianity, uh, there is no absolute moral standard in secularism. Morality is relative to the person, relative to the culture, relative to the age. Morality evolves as time goes on. Salvation is something uh, that we talk about with many traditional religions, but in secular humanism there is... Um, Really, there is kind of a salvation of sorts. Uh, there is an end goal. Since death is the end, and the human race is bigger than one individual, humanists want to see evolution move forward. Um, they want the human race to advance, so humanists want to do whatever they can to contribute to that goal. And while there are multiple variations within secularism, atheism, and agnosticism, there are some categories which loosely hold this system of thought together. Secularism, I'm arguing, is a religion, though not in the traditional sense. It is a system of beliefs that one subscribes to with faith, and it is one of the fastest religions growing in the world. Number two, second largest religion in the world is Islam. It has 1.5 billion adherents. This accounts for roughly 20% of the world population. The religion was founded by uh, Muhammad uh, back in the 7th century. However, they do teach that uh, their faith goes all the way back to the creation narrative with Adam and Eve at the beginning. Muhammad, as a prophet, was someone uh, who is said to have functioned as a corrective. In other words... Uh, the truth had, had strayed, and so now Muhammad comes in to correct that uh, corruption. Unlike Hinduism, the Islamic religion does not teach multiple paths to enlightenment or salvation. Uh, the Quran teaches in Surah 3, verse 19, Surely the true religion with Allah is Islam. In other words, Islam says that it alone exclusively is truth. There are no other paths to God. Their view of God is a monotheistic view. This is uh, opposed uh, to uh, Hinduism, which teaches polytheism, many gods. They're, they believe in the existence of one God. They call him Allah. And unlike Christianity, they do not believe in the Trinity. Uh, neither Jesus Christ nor the Holy Spirit is believed to be God. 
Those who believe in the Trinity, according to Islam, have committed an unforgivable offense. That's Surah 4, 116. According to the Islamic doctrine of Tanzi, nothing is comparable to Allah. No words, no experience, nothing. He has not been begotten, and he does not beget. Jesus is not God. Rather, Jesus is believed to have been created by Allah as a messenger. It's also taught that Jesus did not die on the cross. He was replaced by someone who died in his place. Allah also is mutable, which means that he can change. This differs from the Christian understanding of God, who says uh, God is immutable. God never changes. In addition, Allah is described as being both just and merciful. Uh, Creation in the Islamic religion is... Uh, similar in some senses to uh, the Bible. The world was created in six days. Um, Modern Islamic scholars would integrate evolutionary ideas into their creation narrative. The more conservative Muslim scholars would reject evolution and they would teach a literal six-day creation. Where their account differs from uh, the uh, the Christian uh, accounts is that in Islam, mankind is not fallen, okay? We'll get to that when we talk about Christianity in just a moment here. But mankind is not fallen, which means they're not born in sin. Uh, for, the, for, for, for the Muslim, mankind needs guidance instead of redemption. Uh, there are two sources of authority within Islam. The first one, obviously, is the Quran, um, which um, is their main text. Uh, The second source of authority would be the examples and sayings of the Prophet Muhammad. Uh, Over the centuries after Muhammad's death, these sayings and examples were recorded into one book called the Hadith. And so those two books together uh, form uh, that which is authoritative for the Muslim. Uh, In addition, what is also taught is that the Quran is in complete agreement with the original Bible. And when I say original Bible... It's claimed uh, by, uh, by Muslims that the present-day Bible was corrupted by Christians and Jews who were intentionally trying to hide truth. Uh, Surah 1094 says this, And if you, Muhammad, are in doubt concerning that which we reveal unto you, then question those that read the Scripture before you. Verily the truth from the Lord has come unto thee, Uh, So be not thou of the waverers or the doubters. In other words, while the Bible is said to be corrupted, the Quran also teaches that Christians and Jews, and understand that's by the the statement here, those who are before you, Christians and Jews, according to the Quran, can be a reliable source of truth for uh, the Muslim, according to the Quran. Uh, Men and women, mankind, they are created by Allah and they are distinct from him. Unlike Hinduism, Islam teaches that this world is real. It's not uh, a, uh, an illusion. Mankind is part of creation, but mankind is not Allah's greatest part of creation. Surah 40, verse 57 says, Assuredly, the creation of the heavens and the earth is greater than the creation of mankind. And so uh, the Quran teaches that Um, the heavens and the earth is a greater part of Allah's creation than mankind is. The doctrine of sin within uh, Islam demonstrates that men and women need guidance. Again, as I mentioned already, rather than redemption, there's no such thing as original sin. Man, instead of being born sinful, is born weak, number one, and forgetful, number two. Sin is defined as disobedience to the will of Allah, as revealed in the uh, Quran and the Hadith. Salvation or paradise is attained based on the following formula, okay? Repentance plus faith plus good works plus Allah's mercy. All four of those things are required for a Muslim to be saved, to enter paradise, or as we would say, heaven. There is one exception to this rule, And that is, if a Muslim dies as a martyr in a holy war, while they're exhibiting bravery, that person will automatically 
no questions asked, enter into paradise. I want to break this down just a little bit to understand this. Um, let's talk uh, briefly about good works that are required for salvation. Uh, most prominently, they are the five pillars of Islam. So this would be their creed. And of course, you're familiar with their statement, there is no God but Allah. Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. And so that creed really forms the foundation of their belief system. Uh, second thing of the five pillars is prayer. This is five times a day that this happens. Number three is almsgiving. They're required to give 2.5% of their income. Number four is fasting. Uh, so for one month, in between sunrise and sunset, the Muslim fasts from food, from drink, as well as sexual intimacy. And then the last one, number five, is their pilgrimage, which, of course, uh, their holy city, Mecca, is uh, part of that. So uh, there are other good deeds. Again, all of the good deeds are... Um, part of Allah's will, and they have to adhere to all of those things, uh, but the five pillars are the main ones. According, uh, with reference to their beliefs, they have to believe in six primary things. The first one is that there is one God with no partners, okay, so the idea of they're, they're calling the Trinity partners, okay. Uh, number two, you have to believe in angel angels. Number three, you have to believe in revelations, which most prominently is the Quran, Although uh, they would say uh, the Torah, the writings of David, uh, the Gospels would also be part of that. However, they say that they're corrupted. Uh, number four, you have to believe um, in all of Allah's prophets, all the way from Adam, as they'll say Adam was Muslim, all the way to Muhammad. And then the fifth, um, or the, the last one here is an afterlife in paradise or hell. If a Muslim does all of these above things and believes all of these things, he, does, he is not guaranteed, he or she is not guaranteed salvation. The Muslim has a chance at salvation. Because if you remember, the last thing that we mentioned was required was Allah's mercy. So Allah can choose to be merciful or Allah can choose not to be merciful. Um, with the exception of martyrs, Islam teaches that no one can ever know for sure that they're genuinely safe. So they can do all of the right things. They can uh, respond correctly and believe all the right things and do all the right things. And if they've done that, they're dependent upon Allah saying, I'm going to be merciful or not to you at the end. All right, that's uh, Islam. The last one is the largest religion in the world. It has 2.1 billion adherents worldwide accounting for 28% of the world's population. This is uh, Christianity, of course, and as with all of the above religions, uh, Christians have a number of different sects and denominations. This 2.1 billion uh, adherent number includes Protestants, Catholics, uh, evangelicals, liberal groups. Um, it includes a number of denominations, and so... Uh, assuming that uh, maybe you are, are thinking, as I'm thinking, um, not all of what is called Christianity um, is something that everyone would adhere to. Um, so I would not personally, as a Christian, adhere to, let's say, for, for instance, Roman Catholic theology or uh, those kind of things. Um, Christianity is the fulfillment of biblical Judaism. So while modern Judaism and Christianity do hold to separate dogmas. Uh, Christians do teach that Jesus is the promised Jewish Messiah and the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. Um, it's a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham uh, in, in the book of Genesis where God tells Abraham, in you all of the nations of the world will be blessed. In other words, it includes Gentiles and Jews, Gentiles, a phrase meaning non-Jews. The Christian finds himself or herself in agreement with many of the things in different world religions. Um, the various religions of the world, even secular humanism, promote values such as love to one's neighbor, pursuit of justice, a care and concern for the truth. And nevertheless, there are many things that differentiate Christianity from other religions of the world. God, for the Christian, is... Um, Something that, uh, that we believe, we believe in monotheism. 
So Christianity would teach that there is one God. There are not multiple gods. There is not uh, polytheism. Is not um, is not true as well as pantheism. Everything is God. We would deny that as well. Christianity also teaches the Trinity. Uh, the Trinity is not a polytheistic understanding of God. It is a monotheistic God. There is one God um, who resides in three different persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God is a God who is both just and merciful. God demonstrates both of these attributes in the atonement where Jesus dies in the place of sinful men and women. There are some differences in what Christians around the world uh, believe about creation. Uh, But according to the Bible, the world and the universe was created in six literal days, uh, roughly 6,000 years ago. Now, there are some Christians as well who would uh, try to integrate uh, the Christian doctrine of creation within uh, an evolutionary understanding, and so they would adhere to uh, sometimes the Big Bang and even say things such as God created uh, the world uh, through and mankind through an evolutionary process. I myself am a young earth creationist, which means that I believe the Bible as it says in Genesis 1 through 11, is a literal explanation of the world. And that God did create the world in six days apart from evolution, and that the earth is roughly 6,000 years old. For the Christian, the authority is communicated through us in two avenues. The first one is general revelation, and the second one is special revelation. Uh, General revelation is the external testimony of creation and the internal testimony of the conscience. According to Romans chapter 1, general revelation tells us a few things. It tells us that everybody believes in the existence of God. And so the Christian would actually assert that in the ultimate sense of the word, there are no true atheists. Everyone in their heart of hearts knows that God exists. That's part of general revelation. Uh, General Revelation also teaches that that God not only exists, but he's powerful, that he's the creator. Special Revelation is a little bit different. Uh, It's how God communicates to us. In the past, he's done this through dreams and visions, but uh, presently, God's special revelation is done exclusively through the Bible. We believe that the Bible is completely authoritative, and sometimes we refer to this doctrine as sola scriptura, which is a Latin phrase which means scripture alone. The Bible is inerrant, which means without error. It is infallible, which means it's completely trustworthy because God cannot lie. We believe God has and will continue to preserve his word throughout history. With regard to man, mankind, when God created Adam and Eve, there was no death, suffering, or sorrow. Mankind lived in perfect harmony with one another. Mankind lived in perfect harmony with God. God gave one rule. You're not allowed to eat from one tree. And when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sin enters into the world so that it is passed almost genetically onto every human since that time. We call this the fall of man. Remember we said in uh, Islam there's no such doctrine as the fall of man. This is where this differentiates uh, here, the fall of man. And so because of the fall of man, now every single person is born as a sinner. Not only, so this is what the fall of man means. Not only do we do sinful deeds, but our very nature is a sinful nature. Um, Christians teach that there are not multiple races, but that every human being shares a common ancestor. So I'm, I'm, if this terminology maybe is throwing you for a little bit of loop, what do you mean there's not multiple races? Uh, this would be uh, differentiate from, uh, say, evolution, which teaches that you know, um, there are multiple different um, you know, groups of humans that evolved at different times throughout history. Um, in contrast to that, Christianity teaches that there is one human ancestor that's common to all of us, Adam and Eve. Uh, the belief in races, uh, in an evolutionary sense, has prompted certain groups to oppress other groups because it was claimed that some people are more evolved than other people. And so the Christian would deny this. The ethnic diversity and the language diversity 
that's observed in the world today is a result of God dispersing people at the Tower of Babel. Different communities formed around the world, and by cutting off the gene pool in these different communities, they began to share and exhibit common characteristics. Mankind is created in the image of God, which means that all of us reflect God. The fall of man marred that, uh, yeah, sorry, the fall of man marred that image, and now we all face physical and spiritual death. So death, the Christian would argue, is something that is not natural. It was not part of the original creator. We were designed to live forever. Sin, this is something that has affected every human being. It's disobedience to God's moral law. People choose to sin because they're sinners. They don't become sinners because they choose to sin. You understand the difference in that? Uh, Christianity would teach you don't become a sinner because you chose to sin. Rather, you do sin because you are a sinner. Sin has affected every part of this. We call this total depravity. It doesn't mean that we are as sinful as we could be, but that sin has affected every part of us, our mind, our will, and our emotions. The Bible tells us in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The testimony of the conscience through general revelation confirms this in every human heart. All of us know intuitively that we are sinners. Romans 2 talks about that with God giving us the conscience. Salvation for the Christian is actually one of the areas that probably has one of the largest contrasts between Christianity and all other religions of the world. If you... um, took all of the religions of the world and put them on one side and you put Christianity on the other side, the one difference between them, the one primary difference, would be that, the, that, that all of the other religions tell you in order to get to God, you have to do these kinds of things. And where Christianity comes in and is different than that is it says um, you can't do anything to get to God and so God in his mercy came down to get you. It's a very big difference um, with regard to how a person is saved. Christianity teaches that our good works and our good actions and deeds will never be enough to merit God's favor because God's standard is perfection and nobody has reached perfection. We can't possibly reach God. The punishment for violating God's law is an eternity in a place called hell. But because God is a loving God, he made a way in which we could be saved. God sent Jesus to do two things. Jesus was completely perfect. That's the first thing, is he was completely perfect. Second thing is, he died to death that we deserve. And so when that happens, and someone believes or places their faith in Jesus, their sinfulness is credited to Jesus' account. So Jesus dies for my sin. And when I trust in Jesus, the other thing that happens is Jesus' righteousness is credited to the sinner. So it's credited to my account. And so when I die and stand before God, God will let a person into heaven or not let a person into heaven based on whether they have that we could call foreign righteousness. Do you have Jesus' righteousness or do you have your own? If you have your own version of righteousness, it will never be enough. Jesus basically paid off our debt. And not only does he pay off our debt, but then he puts more money into our account so we have a positive balance, not just a neutral balance. Because of this, salvation is based on one thing alone, faith. We call this sola fide, or again, a Latin phrase which means faith alone. Unlike the other religions of the world, Christianity teaches that we don't earn our salvation. While there are standards and while there are things that we can do to exhibit uh, holiness, those things don't contribute to our salvation. There is no list of do this, and if you don't do it, you're going to go to hell. All of us already deserve hell. All who trust in Jesus as their Savior will spend eternity in heaven with God. Furthermore, this salvation is sure. Because salvation is based on the immutability of God and the unchanging character of God and the unchanging promises of God, no, or one, people can be sure that genuine faith will always lead to salvation. There's no guesswork. There's no, I wonder if God's in a bad mood today and he's going to kick me out. There's no, oh, I committed this sin and I wonder if God's going to kick me out. There's no need for second guessing or wondering if you've done enough good. 
We believe that none of us has done enough good to merit salvation, which is why Jesus had to come in the first place. I have just a few short minutes left, and I would like to conclude with one small section. And if we have time after this, I can take questions. And I actually will be available um, after this. So if you want to meet out here and talk more, I'm happy to do that. Uh, I want to have one more section. Uh, I'm going to entitle this, How to Choose Your Religion. How to Choose Your Religion. There are hundreds of religions available, and we've talked about just four of them. I can't possibly take the time to define all of them. I hope that today's discussion is something that prompts all of us to think more deeply about what we believe and why we believe it. I want to give you a few guidelines as you determine what it is you're going to believe. Number one, whatever you choose must be logically consistent which means this, it cannot have internal contradictions and errors. Whatever system of belief, whatever worldview you subscribe to, you need to ask yourself, are there internal contradictions within my system of belief? If there are, that's a good indication that it might not be the right one. Second uh, guideline that I'd like to give us is this, it must accurately account for the way that the world is today. I'm just going to give you an example. Uh, one of the reasons that I am a Christian is because Christianity explains a number of different things. If you go to Genesis chapters 1 through 11, you'll see in that passage how it describes really the entire reason why the world is the way it is today. For example, Genesis 1 through 11 explains why there are different languages, why there are different ethnic groups. I mentioned that earlier with the Tower of Babel. Genesis 1 through 11 explains why we have a seven-day week. Remember, seven-day week has nothing to do with anything in the solar system at all, like days, uh, months, years do. So why do we have a, a seven-day week? Why do we wear clothes? That's something that we learn in Genesis 1 through 11. Why do we sin? Why is there death and suffering? So when you look out at the world, your worldview has got to be able to give an account for why things are the way that they are. And the third reason, or the third uh, thing to remember as we choose, uh, is this. It must account for the preconditions of intelligibility. What do I mean by that? I'm going to list off three preconditions for intelligibility. Number one is laws of science. Number two, laws of logic. And number three, laws of morality. All of us in this room take these three things for granted. Not one of you this morning, I'm going to guess, woke up and thought, I wonder how I know that the laws of science are consistent. You probably didn't think about induction. You probably didn't think about uh, logic and say, I hope I'm logical today. You just took those things for granted. You assumed that when you came here today, that I was going to give a presentation that was logical and coherent. You assumed that I wasn't going to say that Hindus believe um, that the moon is green because the purple fox jumped over the creek. Well, what are you talking about? <laughs> There's no logical consistency, right? You assumed that I was going to be logical in my presentation. We take that for granted. We all assume that science is repeatable and testable. We all assume that logic is absolute and invariant. And we all affirm basic moral truths like justice. Without these preconditions, things like science, simple conversations, and moral judgments would be absolutely impossible. Yet, we have to have more than just a mere arbitrary conjecture to validate these beliefs. Does your worldview, does your religion give an account for the preconditions of intelligibility? Do we know that logic is consistent because of your worldview? Do we know that morality is consistent because of your worldview? What kind of standards do you have and why? I'm speaking to you today as a Christian. I'm not denying that. You might walk away saying, okay, but you're a Christian, so that means that you're biased. And I'm going to have to answer that guilty as charged. I am biased. And I don't apologize for that. 
because every single one of you are biased as well. It doesn't matter what religious system you adhere to. It doesn't matter what worldview you adhere to. It doesn't matter any of those things. Not a single person in this room approaches this topic or any topic in a completely unbiased, neutral fashion. All of us have past experiences. All of us have everything um, that has shaped us up until this point in our lives that impact why we choose what we choose. And so I would argue that uh, the question is not how can we be as neutral as possible in evaluating the evidence and evaluating these different worldviews. My, my, my argument would be we have to decide which bias, if I can put it that way, or which worldview is the correct one. What is the correct? Imagine your religion or your worldview as a pair of glasses that you put on. And that will either give you a clear understanding of the world or it will color your understanding of the world. And you have to make sure that you are looking at the world and you're looking at truth from a source and a reliability that is accurate, that is true. Once again, I'm telling you that I am a Christian. I don't apologize for the fact that I believe that, um, that Christian, Christianity does that, that the gospel is true and that the only way for true salvation is to repent of our sins and to trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And I just encourage any of you, um, as I mentioned, I'm, I want to make myself available. I put my business cards up here on the, uh, on the table. And so if you don't have time today but want to grab coffee with me one day, uh, feel free to come up and grab one of those cards and reach out to me. I'll make myself available out here too if you want to talk for a few minutes. And I hope that um, this is a profitable time where we can learn more about uh, who we are and what our purpose is in the universe. Thank you so much for coming, letting me speak to you. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at crossvieworville.com.